Cannabis Agenda, your weekly source for cannabis-related news and informed discussion. We podcast for an hour every Monday covering topics related to cannabis legalization, medical marijuana, and market-related information. You can follow online with us at CannabisAgenda.com. And now, your hosts, Jamie Cass and Mark Green. Yes, indeed. What's up? Episode 41. Mm-hmm. Act 41, man. We, it just keeps rolling. We're a day late, too. Oops. We are. It's my fault, everybody. I have to admit, it's my <laughs> fault. And, uh, <laughs> Not really. Addi- <laughs> additional preemptive apology uh, <laughs> necessary. Uh, I have to apologize because I'm uh, I'm a little bit like, uh, I don't know, running on scraps here. <laughs> it's it's crunch time at university. I spent three days lobbying and all this other wah, 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 big sob story thing. But, you know, whew, man. I'm on fumes. I'm feeling good, though. I'm happy. I'm glad to be here. How about you? Yeah, yeah. I, it was a team effort missing yesterday. Full team it effort. <laughs> it was? Yeah. So, oh, that makes me feel better now. Yeah, it was a team effort. So, uh, yeah, we're sorry we're a little late here, guys. Um, but uh, we'll, uh, we'll have this out tonight, which is Monday. Um, that should be late. Yeah, definitely. Um uh let's uh tell everybody a little bit well first of all let's thank everyone that's uh returning with us we appreciate you guys for um following along and uh and uh listening to the show and contributing to it and um to all of our new listeners uh what what uh what exactly do we do jamie what is it that we do welcome yeah um we're glad you're checking out the cannabis agenda on the cannabis agenda we discuss everything that's cannabis related all things cannabis um and i like to say it's like uh, activist taste, activist tainment. That's my word. Entertainment for activists. You bet. You know, what we like to do, um, in a, in a, in, in a nutshell is discuss issues, um, relevant to, um, cannabis, um, production, cannabis use, cannabis law, cannabis, um, in any, any way, shape or form and try to bring some objectivity to it and some informed discussion and take it from there. And yeah, we are uh, slightly biased towards uh, drug law reform in general. So uh, just mm. to go ahead and put that out there for everybody. Um, sure. We but uh, yeah, we 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 try to we try to uh, cover the news that's the most uh, that we think is the most important going on in uh, national and international um, uh, cannabis related news, and um, we also uh, deconstruct some stories sometimes and um, mm-hmm. find some some pretty bogus stuff out there in the media related to cannabis. Um, <laughs> never yeah, a shortage. Never a shortage. <laughs> and uh, yeah, um, we're really we're really appreciative of everyone out there that's been listening and participating in the show. Um, thank y'all for 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 being around. Um, today's show, episode forty one, big story of the day: uh, Northern Illinois University um, SSDP chapter uh, has to fight for their right to exist on campus. Uh, their student senators decided that they should not. Uh, be a group that's classified um, so that they can be funded and acknowledged by the university. We're going to uh, be talking with um, Jeremy Orbach and uh, someone else, I believe, right, um, from NIU, yeah. uh, SSDP, I, right? Yeah. Their, uh, their media guy, uh, Eric uh, Hashlinger, that's uh, the SSDP oh, uh, NIU. Oh, Eric Hashlinger. Hashlinger. Huh? Nice. <laughs> yeah, I think it's <laughs> Hass. 
Hasslinger, but it sounds like Hashlinger. But you pronounce it like Hash. Get past that on our show. <laughs> no way. <laughs> I said no. Those guys are going to pick up on that right away. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. You're also we're also bringing um, uh, Anna Deveris on the show to talk about uh, yeah. Illinois, updates in Illinois with SB 1381. Yeah, Anna is with the uh, um, Illinois Cannabis Patients Association. Cool, cool. And she's going to give us an update on Illinois, and you guys are going to wrap. That's awesome. Um, and uh, we're going to hear very, uh, very um, passionate Lou Lang defending SB 1381. That's one thing we're definitely going to get to. That's a, that's a good clip to listen to if you want to hear someone. Yeah, you know, that's energized. just his first one, too. Sure. At the end, it was like 10 times more passionate, if you can imagine. He was screaming at those people. Really, really. And well, yeah, I mean, because I hear that what went down there was kind of, you know, that people were being pretty rude and, uh, stereo- and uh, yeah. stereotyping people a lot in that place. So sounds like uh, Illinois is the story of the day. There's a lot of drama coming out of your home state, Jamie. Uh, sure. More drama up in, uh, on the, in the East Coast, too, up in uh, New Jersey. Um, so they're still working on compromising the uh, medical pot laws there um, and also uh, it looks like we it looks like we had a uh, sophisticated uh, grow up busted up in Long Island we'll get to that in a while uh, <laughs> we got some we got some stories from uh, New Zealand sent to us by Tonga Ninja um, uh, it looks like uh, ACDC's drummer was busted for pot and uh, some constipated trucker got arrested for taking bong rips um, <laughs> L.A. Did you say constipated? <laughs> He's constipated. We'll get to that oh in a while. God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had to plug pooper. Right. Um, and uh, we'll uh, L.A. L.A. County. They amended, or not the county, L.A. City. I think it amended the uh, dispensary ordinance that they have there that had brought the number of dispensaries from nearly a thousand down to like forty. So they're trying to increase it to about seventy. We'll get to that. Something's going on in uh, Michigan too. ACLU suing somebody. Uh, yeah, suing yeah. Uh, three cities over medical marijuana bans. Ow, woo! And oh, in the Rocky Mountain High today, we're going to talk about Colorado. Uh, they're starting to, to to discuss how they want to address um, driving under the uh, influence of marijuana, um, and uh, they're talking about blood tests and things like that. We're going to get into that. That's a really big, uh, really big issue um, that we're going to have to face as we move forward um, with a, you know, with a legal marijuana economy, medical or recreational, whatever it be. Uh, we're also going to get to some uh, research bin discussion. We're going to talk about a story we covered last week, um, uh, how marijuana may potentially, aff- uh, what its effects are on the immune system, what we know about at this point, and we're going to specifically just be talking about a researcher um, from the university of South Carolina who found uh, who found that uh, mar- he thinks marijuana may suppress one certain s- certain sort of cell or cell suppressor or something. Um, but yeah, we'll get into that at the end of the show. Um, we're glad you guys are here. So yeah, you guys can follow along um, at CannabisAgenda.com. Uh, email us anytime, info at CannabisAgenda.com with uh, questions, comments, criticism, anything like that. You can always go to the website, look at the show, check out our notes, click on any of the stories. It'll link you straight to them. Um, you can uh, call us if you'd like, um, 707-654-CAN, which is 2266 um, you, you leave a voicemail, let us know if you do not want it to go on there. If, if you do not say you don't want it on there, it will, we will probably play it on the air. Um, you can, uh, listen to us either from the website or from iTunes. Uh, if you go to iTunes, you can search cannabis agenda, the cannabis agenda. Uh, you can search, uh, we're pretty easy to find if you search just keyword cannabis or marijuana, uh, please leave us reviews on there. It helps us a lot. Um, and, uh, you can always check us out on Twitter and Facebook. Um, so, uh, and when you're on Facebook, please, uh, tell your friends about us and ask them to uh, like us as well. 
Uh, we True. got a couple emails this week, it looks like, right? Got one. Yeah, didn't. Tongan Ninja sent another one, didn't Tongan Ninja sent one, and we are going to cover... A friend uh, from New Zealand. Yeah, we appreciate the scoops, man. It's, uh, that's, mm-hmm. uh, we like that. So if anyone out there, you know, if you want to hear stories from your area that we are not covering somehow, sometimes it's hard to scoop stories um, from all the different canvas-related stuff all over the world. So please send them in, and we'll, uh, we'll cover them. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, if, uh, if you know anybody that uh, you think we should talk with or have any leads on that, please, uh, please uh, send them our way as well. Um, I think it's pretty uh, important for us to just go ahead and jump into Illinois today. Um, what's going on out there in the Midwest? Uh, some craziness happening down there in the, in the Midwest melee. Uh, well, I guess this is actually uh, glimmers of hope as well. Um, there's uh, Well, you know I went to that regional conference for the SSDP a couple weeks ago um, where I reported from. Um, Students for Dr- uh, Sensible Drug Policy is what SSDP stands for, by the way. And uh, we met there with uh, an NIU chapter from Northern Illinois University in DeKalb, Illinois, and uh, uh, a Mr. Jeremy Orbach. And he was telling us after we met and kind of introduced ourselves that they were, they were getting uh, denied recognition from their, their student senate on their, at their college. They weren't uh, letting them identify as SSDP and get regular student organization funding like everybody else did. So I figured uh, that's pretty much shutting people down. That's shutting down thought, don't you think? That's censorship. Sure. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah I man, mean, that stuff. I mean, I could see if a group – the only only reason I could see not giving a group funding would be like uh, if they were – directly giving money to specific politicians or if they were like right. uh, a violent group, uh, you know, an openly violent group um, mm. uh, or a hate group or, you know, based off of right. race or sexuality or something like that. So, um, yeah, I, I kind of feel like either, you know, um, either they're going to, you know, fund all these groups or not fund any of them at all. And, uh, I think, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm really interested to hear, um, what your, uh, contacts over there at NIU have to say, um, regarding their yeah, chapter got, status. Uh, get Jeremy Orbach on the phone here and, uh, see what he's got to, to tell us about. I think there's some new updates too. He said this thing's been going crazy. Um, we'll let him, uh, explain it a little further. So my name is Jeremy Orbach. I am the founder and president of the Northern Illinois University Students for Sensible Drug Policy. And I founded the organization on March 16th of this year. And uh, we've been working really, really hard to spread word about students for sensible drug policy. And we've been hitting some very big, uh, big stones in our way, um, essentially in trying to become what we want to become. And uh, I believe that's why we're, we're talking today is just in regards to everything that's happened over the last three weeks or so. so yeah, what is up with that? Um, can you be more specific with your questions? Student yeah. Senate. What happened this? So the student Senate is who makes the decisions on what groups get to, um, uh-huh. be official groups of the school. Is that how that works at your school? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, Eric again. Yeah, that's, uh, correct. Um, the student Senate is the ones who vote on recognition. We had currently, or we had our temporary status as an organization and we were classified as a social justice and advocacy organization. And we went before them to go for the official vote, and after a little bit of a question-answer session, they held a debate amongst the senators where they did not allow us to even intervene at this point. 
and the issue of funding was brought up, and they told us we had to reclassify it to a political organization, which under the NIU definite or under the NIU Constitution for the Student Senate would deny us any funding as an organization. We, on the other hand, believe we were not a political organization and did not want to reclassify. So we continued to address the issue, and we tried to petition to speak in front of the Senate again, where we were denied the ability to speak until we were reclassified as political, basically forcing us to do what we did not want to do. And that's really how this whole situation started. So have you guys reclassified Hmm. at this point or not? We, at this point, decided against reclassification due to the fact that there were a number of members of our Students for Central Drug Policy chapter that expressed that if we were a political organization, they would not want to be a part of it. And I also, myself, do not believe that we were political. We didn't want the stigma of being a political group, and we essentially decided it was in our best interest to not do what the students asked us to do and reclassify ourselves. Sure. I mean, I'm looking at the groups that exist at your school. In this story here, it talks about like Advocates for Choice, Campus Anti-War mm-hmm. Network, um, mm-hmm. Consumer Education Society, uh, Vegetarian Education Group. These are all cause-oriented groups too that get that under your your Senate recognize them as um, as uh, what social justice advocacy and support groups. But but because of your cause. Um, they're just, they're not, they're not into it. What's the deal? Did they talk specifically about marijuana at all? Do you guys have any idea what, what their um, bias is yeah, against actually, you guys? Actually, yeah. When we uh, first went up for recognition, uh, they did ask several questions. They asked if we uh, supported policies such as medicinal marijuana in Illinois, to which I myself answered that we did. And at that point in the meeting afterwards, when they were debating our actual recognition, one of the senators clearly expressed that he did not want his money going to an organization that openly supported drug reform policy, which immediately, right there, violates the uh, violates the First Amendment um, under the viewpoint discrimination clause, according to Rosenberger versus University of Virginia. Yeah, I was going to say it's not actually the First Amendment. It's just unconstitutional viewpoint discrimination, which was um, a Supreme Court case that was, I believe, it went to the Supreme Court of the United States around 10 years ago. And we they, they just seem to have no idea of the existence of viewpoint discrimination. And we think at this point they still have no idea of the existence of viewpoint discrimination. Hmm. Have, uh, have you guys gotten to talk with any of these senators outside of the actual... Um Outside of, you know, actual the, the meetings or anything? Do you guys know these people at all? Yeah. Um, when I started SSDP back about nine months ago or so, um, I made it a point to reach out to pretty much everybody across the spectrum trying to establish ourselves. And through um, just emailing and, you know, recruiting, we, we did get uh, the support of a few senators um, that actually got elected. And so when they did, uh, when they were elected into power, um, we did reach out to them and essentially asked if they would, you know, help us and where they can. And they all established that they were, you know, very, very much for the idea of drug policy reform, et cetera. And they have been helping us quite a bit. Huh. So, um, I don't know. I guess I'm just confused as to what what their their motivations are to uh, deny you guys. Absolutely. I, I, can, I can give you more of an idea of what we believe. Um we believe that there were a few specific people with somewhat conservative mindsets that em- mm-hmm. 
deployed tactics essentially to sway the decision of the entire Senate. And initially, um, from reading the minutes, which will be publicly available sometime in the near future, you can clearly see that a few specific senators began um, establishing the idea of stigma towards drug policy reform just with their statements. And essentially what happened was a lot of the senators got really confused, and it was made clear to us by one of the senators directly that when the vote was initially taken to force us to reclassify, a great number of people didn't even understand what the vote was on. So it is in our opinion, essentially, that there were a few specific people that felt as though it was in their best interest to prevent us from becoming an organization. And hang on, Eric wants to say something as well. Yeah, also one uh, instance that we have that directly uh, speaks to this issue is that after we had been denied our recognition in the first place, uh, President Jeremy, he uh, met with uh, members of the Senate and he spoke with them and they informed, he asked them, well, what is your definition of a political organization and what is your definition of a social justice advocacy organization? They informed us that they had definitions for these organization classifications and we found out later they did not. And we actually found out through the newspaper that next Monday when we found out that the Senate had passed a vote the night before that defined a political group. And they defined a political or religious organization as any organization that lobbies local, state, or federal legislatures, or that runs informational campaigns. So right there, we knew that they were directly wording that against us because we had specifically told them that we run informational campaigns. Aren't there plenty of uh, non-political groups on campus that run informational campaigns? For uh, you know, example, uh, AIDS awareness, is that not an informational campaign? Absolutely. It was, it was the, the feeling of, of us, as soon as this, this definition was put into law, that nearly every single group on campus in some way runs informational campaigns. I mean, the snowboarding club, for example, they run campaigns to let people know that, hey, there's a snowboarding club on campus, come check us out. And to us, that meant that, you know, every single group on campus would have to change themselves to a political organization. And that's where we really saw, you know, a huge conflict. Wow. It's cool that you stood up for this thing. And it's just starting to take off from what I understand um, what's what's yep. the status of this thing now? Are there, is it, have you managed um, to, uh, yeah, just give us an update. Okay. Um, at this moment, uh, as you guys can imagine, we've been incredibly busy today um, meeting with administrators on campus to try and see an expedite, expedited resolution to everything. We've also had meetings with the press. Uh, the Northern Star has been fantastic at covering all of uh, the allegations and everything that has developed. And I was going to say to everybody real quick that if you guys do want to find out what the press has to say about everything that has happened over the, the last three weeks, uh, we do have a website set up dedicated to um, help establish everything that was said in the press to everybody that's interested at this point. And that website is niussdp.org. And also, as of right now, we've been getting very frequent calls from people from across the country, as well as emails from people showing their support and, sh and explaining how you know they feel like we have been wronged. And it's really, it's hit the national spotlight far faster than we even realized. Um, and it's, it's just been incredible. We found out that change.org is going to be launching a petition tonight to pretty much tell the president of Northern Illinois University that he must step in and he must step in fast. And we are hoping from all the publicity that we're receiving from this, that this, everything fixes itself in, in a very, very fast amount of time. Wow. You know, I'm surprised that the president hadn't stepped in before now. 
I mean, um, this is... I was going to say, it's not that the president has not stepped in before now. Um, uh-huh. When we... When the letter was originally sent out by the Foundation for Individual Rights and Education, or FIRE, uh, when they originally sent out a letter on behalf of uh, NIU SSDP, we did uh, try and reach out to find out who had taken the case, who had President Peters put on um, this case. And essentially, we did did a little bit of investigating to find out who was on it, and we found out that one of the um, lawyers that represents the administration for the university um, was put onto this case, and his name was Greg Brady. And we began working with him around two weeks ago, um, trying to establish that, you know, we're not looking to go to court for this. We're not looking to pay lawyers. We're really looking to just, you know, be treated fairly. We want everything to be resolved yeah. without it having to get, you know, everything that we need. And he was very appreciative um, of us sure. coming forward, essentially, and explained that he was working to bring, you know, this to a just end. Um, it is just in our feeling at this point that um, the, the university in general did not take it quite seriously enough. And sure. we feel as though um, the, the senators that voted no yesterday um, against recognizing SSDP did not realize the ramifications of, of their voting no. Um, and there were a, a few quotes in today's Northern Star article from senators specifically stating, oh, you know, NIU SSDP didn't listen to us. They didn't reclassify themselves. Why should we recognize them? And that proved to us that, you know, the internal communication on the school um, was, was really lacking, and nobody was taking this quite seriously enough. And I was also going to say that the opponents initially of SSDP, all of those that employed the tactics to bend the views to force us to reclassify, they all voted yes. So it, it seemed apparent to us that the, the leadership of the Senate had some issues with, you know, sharing information that was very pertinent to the entire Senate. Wow. I never thought that I would find one of our, our, our universities in Illinois censoring their students like that. You know, that's, uh, I mean, I'm kind of, I'm kind of, I think it's crazy that they just don't recognize, I mean, what's, why don't they recognize political and religious groups? I mean, I don't even understand yeah. what the deal is with making it. It seems, it seems to us that the way the uh, bylaws were originally written, uh, they were written prior to the, um, the ruling on unconstitutional viewpoint discrimination to the best of our beliefs. And it's in our opinion also that nobody took the time to keep on the bylaws of the student association to make sure that they fit within the constitution of the United States. Because I do genuinely believe that when it was written, it did fit the constitution, but nobody spends the time to keep up on all the federal Supreme court cases that affect what they can and cannot do. Sure. <clears throat> sure. That makes sense. At this point, um, what do, what do you think? What's the, where's it going to sway? You think this is going to get resolved quickly or do you, you know, do you feel that this is going to be a long process? Um, to be completely honest, we are, we're working really hard to avoid any sort of litigation right mm-hmm. now. Um, it is still very much in the cards and we may decide to move forward with that plan of action. But at this point, after the meeting today with the administration, um, we want to see this resolved as soon as possible. And we were told by the administration that um, everyone is leaving uh, next Friday for winter break. Mm-hmm. So we were also told that there's going to be um, an administration, um, they're going to get together and hold a meeting after finals are over, which is this week right now for Northern Illinois. And yeah. after that is done, we're going to be able to speak directly with the administration. 
And so they have made proactive measures to help resolve this in an expedient form. But at this point, we feel as if as much pressure as possible would be appreciated to getting this resolved expediently. So really, it is our opinion at this point that it will be probably resolved completely by the beginning of next semester, which is early January. Okay. And you know what? I bet I bet if when it is resolved, they won't do this again, I bet you. Yeah. yeah, we're trying to help um, establish, because we've been going through it since the beginning, we're trying to help establish the fact that we want to help make sure that this doesn't happen again. And we realize that it's not our job Absolutely. to do that, but we also realize that, you know, the mistakes are always made. Everybody's human. Um, we're not trying to come down really, really hard on everybody. And we're sharing our ideas on how this can be prevent, pre- prevented in the future. Derek also wants to say something. Hang on. And what we're doing right now is uh, also we're trying to help other organizations on campus that, like you said, a lot of organizations are going to be affected by these new bylaws. And uh, one such organization, the uh, Advocates for Choice, yeah, it was the Advocates for Choice, which is a uh, pro-choice group, was told that they had to reclassify themselves as political as well. However, I mean, this is just, we haven't heard anything official yet, but as far as I am aware, the uh, pro-life group was never contacted about this. Mm-hmm. So as far as viewpoint discrimination goes, if you uh, read the most current article uh, put out by right. FIRE, <laughs> the press release, it talks about the uh, Baha'i Religion Club, yeah. where they're exploring, and it's a religious organization. However, they receive funding, and they're going to deny that to other organizations that want to open up discussion on religion. You guys basically think everybody should be able to receive funding and be recognized by the school if they yeah, choose every, to get together, right? I, I think I think it should either be everyone or no one. Okay. And I, I also wanted to say that I've actually spent some time thinking about this, and I believe personally that the organization's that are that fit the political definition under tax law, which essentially states that if part of your um, part of everything that you're doing involves taking money from donors and putting it towards politicians, political parties, or campaigns, if if people are doing that on campus, we believe that they should not receive funding due to the the classification. Or I should say, I believe that I don't necessarily want to put it on everybody else, but I believe that the people that are truly political groups and are under the tax law as political, tax law states that they don't access um, what's called hard money. And I believe there's a difference between hard money and soft money at the federal level. Um, But it it should be established, in, in my opinion at this point, that the people that are helping people get elected and the people that are helping or the, the organizations helping um, establish parties and stuff like that, they should be in a, a completely separate category. And as I, as I said, this is my opinion. I haven't discussed it fully with my executive board or many people at this point, but I feel as though I can share it with you guys. Sure. Yeah, I think that's, um, you know, because it would be weird for for money to come from the state to go to a group and then be pumped back into politicians trying to get elected. I mean, there is something conflicting about that. Yeah, it'd be more than weird. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, <laughs> that'd be rotten. <laughs> yeah. There's definitely some, you know, some complications there, but look guys, we, uh, we really appreciate y'all coming on here today. We're going to mm-hmm. keep following this until there is a resolution. Um, yeah. And, and thanks for fighting the fight, standing up against this kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely. Thank you guys for, for, being interested in it. We couldn't do this without, you know, the interest of the general public. And if we were alone, we would have, we would have closed and shut down long ago, but we've had so much support since the very beginning that it's been very comforting to go through this entire process because we know we're doing the right thing. We know we've been doing the right thing since the beginning. And it's really nice to see that, you know, so many people care about it at this point. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, um, it's, 
there's a reason why so many people have been contact, so many media, like national media um, entities, have been contacting you about this. You know, because this is this is a hugely important deal. Um, you know, nationally, you got to put those things out like right away, whenever something like that comes up. And uh, yeah, so yeah. anyway, Jeremy, thanks for joining us talking about this, and thanks for doing that again, man. We really appreciate that. Absolutely. Well, whatever we can do to help the cause, you know, that's that's why we're here. And, you know, we've dedicated quite a bit of our time at this point to, you know, making sure that SSDP has a voice and that the members that represent SSDP can also make their voices heard. And that's really why we've done everything we have is just to establish that, you know, we, we deserve our voice and our voice will be heard loud and clear in the end. Sure. It's crazy. You had to veer off from the basically you're veering off from the issue of marijuana right now and into a you know constitutional argument. And uh, uh, yeah, hopefully you can get this resolved speedy and then you can get back to, to working on uh, marijuana uh, advocacy or just drug policy advocacy <laughs> with SSTP, I guess. So um, sensible policy. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank Absolutely. you. I was going to let you guys know real, real quick. Um, we actually, in the idea of, of marijuana and, and talking about it at this point, um, we worked uh, with a number of people in Springfield to launch a campaign um, to help pass Illinois Senate Bill 1381. And we've been working really hard just spreading the word as we've been through this entire scandal. We have, I believe, somewhere around 34 days now until the final day that um, the House of Representatives can deliberate on Illinois Senate Bill 1381. And we've been working really hard with the publicity that we're getting to also establish the fact that there is this bill and it exists right, right now in the House of Representatives, and we are trying to get a lot more people motivated to begin speaking speaking out. And at this point, we only need three votes for it to pass within the next thirty some odd days. So we've we've right. been really hoping that publicity that we're getting right now can help bring publicity also for you know the reform of marijuana policies and um, you know medical cannabis in in Illinois. Excellent. Well played, sir. Very good. Very good. <laughs> We appreciate mm-hmm. all the work you guys are putting into everything. Um, we will uh, we'll stay we'll stay up uh, we'll keep updated with you guys and uh, talk to you again here real soon. Absolutely. Well, we really appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to us today. And um, anytime you guys have any questions, um, our website is niussdp.org. We have a form that you can get in touch with us. You know, we're we're more than happy to extend as much as we can um, out across the nation. Essentially. Um, cool, Jeremy. Thanks. Well, thank you, guys. You guys have a nice one, okay? All right. Thanks a lot. All right. No problem. Bye-bye. Bye. Two dings. All right. Two dings. Two functional stoners on that one. Hyper-functional stoners. Potentially uh, intense situation going on over there, dude. Thanks for that scoop. It's nuts. Yeah, thanks for that scoop, Jamie, and getting the, the contacts with those guys. Uh, it was, uh, it was yeah. good. It was, it was good feeling. Stop, you know. You know, those kind of censorship type issues like that, it's like a toxic fire, man. You got to put those things out right away. You yep. can't let that stuff survive, you know, give it, don't let it get oxygen, stick, stay around. Cause that's, that's, that's truly anti-American, isn't it? Uh, I mean, yeah. outside of any patriotic, nonsensical, you know, overdoing it kind of thing. It's really, truly, that's, that's about as far away from America as you can get, man. And I don't want to go there. So, um, yeah, thanks for Jeremy for standing up and for all the good work. I think, you know, I talked to this guy for quite a while, um, when we were at the, um, convention or the regional conference and, you know, I just have a notion here. Just, I'm just calling it now. I think he might be a, a, a very successful one for this movement. He might be a, 
I don't want to say a rock star, but you know, I think he's going places. He's got the skills, the skill set necessary, and he seems really uh, um, engaged in what he's doing. And you know, so hopefully that's good. We need more people like him. Cool. We got some. We're just uh, what, what are the plugs again? How how do people get in touch with them if they want to give them support or anything like that? Um, well, I guess they still they just got as as usual. You can read uh, the article about what's going on. Um, uh, if you hear this, it's on our site. Just go right underneath uh, Midwest Melees and Glimmers of Hope. It's the first thing NIU censoring students, and uh, you can check that out. They also have their own website. They plug for us. They said uh, niusdp.org, so you can check that out as well. Okay. Cool. What's going on with 1381 in Illinois while we're in Illinois? What's the deal? Oh, it's some crazy stuff. Well, you know, we were talking about um, 1381 for uh, quite some time, and we we're also talking about bringing a female voice into the show. So I thought, hey, this is good. We wanted our whole thing just to let people know what it is. The whole thing was, hey, you know what? We said in a conversation one time, kind of casually, organically, right? Uh, we said, Hey, you know, there's a lot of really smart females out there, too, that really know what they're doing that are active in this movement, and they don't really get noted uh, as much as perhaps they should. So we want to try to feature them. We think it would bring in a, uh, a really cool additional voice that would fit well into the show from time to time. And uh, so on that notion, I found this young lady. Her name is Ana Diveris, and she is for um, Illinois um, – Cannabis Patients Association, and she was down at the courthouse um, lobbying actively in support of SB 1381 um, last week when this thing init- originally went for a vote last Tuesday. And uh, I we managed to get her um, on the line. I think we did. Do we have her on there? I think so. Cool. Let's go into this and uh, and see if she can give us an update. Yes, I can definitely give you an update on that. Um, very disappointing, but it, it didn't get passed this last time around on the 30th. It did, however, get called for a vote, which has been, you know, up in the air for well over a year now and spend a lot of time down at the Capitol for it to possibly get called for a vote, but it never did. Um, so it finally got called for its vote, and we were just show, uh, short, I believe, three or four votes. So now... We have to take this small window of opportunity to kind of secure the yes votes and then, uh, you know, go for the ones that are still opposed to it and, or even on the fence and try and swoon them over on our side. Um, unfortunately, the debate that I watched was so heartbreaking and um, it, it made me sick to see how they were just, you know, blatantly lying, these representatives that opposed this bill. Um, on top of just lying, you know, this bill's been in all of their offices for how long now, yet they couldn't take the time to educate themselves on this bill, what the rules of the bill right. were, how it was regulated, what, you know, um, nor they didn't even take the time to educate themselves on the matter of what the plan is, the science behind the plan, the science behind the human endocannabinoid system, um, you know, and all these illnesses and how it you know, can help with these illnesses. It's just such right. a shame to see these people abuse their privilege of the, you know, where they're at in life. Um, so, yeah, that's so right now with Senate Bill 1381, we have, like I said, the small window of opportunity to get called for another vote. On, I want to say the first week of January. Um, so if we don't get it passed, then um, we're, we're going to have to just start over from scratch. So hopefully we won't even have to worry about that. So. So let's tell people a little bit about Illinois, the way it works here. It's called postponed consideration. 
And what it really is, is kind of a, it's like a halfway retracting the whole piece of legislation just temporarily to give them an opportunity, an additional opportunity to shore up the extra votes they need. Um, that's pretty much sums it up, do you see, do you think? Yes, definitely. That's yeah. it. It's, yeah. And, you know, that's the beauty of it. I didn't, in all honesty, I wasn't aware that we could actually postpone the vote like how it was. Um, so then even though it was really upsetting to see where we were standing with the no votes and the yes votes, mm-hmm. it was um, kind of reassuring to know that it's postponed. We still have this time to work on the representatives and, you know, get them on our side here, educate them as much as we can. Yeah, as you know, I was in the, I was in the gallery at the house uh, during this event as well, and you're right, it was very emotional time. Um, you know, we have I have to uh, express a tremendous amount of thanks to Representative Lou Lang, the House Representative for uh, Illinois' medical uh, potential medical cannabis legislation. Um, he he couldn't have argued things more passionately. I don't know. No, um, not at all. I mean, it brought yeah. tears to my eyes the way he was, and to actually vote no after the speech he gave, that ending speech there to where sure. all of those patients are standing up there looking at these representatives eye to eye, you know, and I mean, you guys wanted living, walking proof. Here we are. Listen to us. And I mean, and like you said, his speech was just a, it was so phenomenal. I mean, it was so heart touching and. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was quite an emotional you moment know, for sure. I think we have uh I think we have a clip for from when he just opened. It wasn't the best part at the end. I think I'm gonna try to find that for sure because if they have this other stuff all recorded, then they should have that recorded. It's from the actual um house itself that produced this thing. And uh Cox, can we can we run that thing? You wanna run it right now? Um yeah, yeah or we can do that. Pretend to. <laughs> no, let's do it. Here it is. <laughs> Hopefully you can hear this, Aina. Yeah, you should be able to. There are 15 other states that allow the use of marijuana for medical purposes. 15 other states, and all of them will tell you this is the most controlled, narrow bill in America. We did that to get the ball rolling, to help sick people. Finally, the bill has a three-year sunset. This isn't forever. If this works, I'll have to come to the floor or someone else will in three years and beg and cajole and plead with you to pass it again. And if it isn't working, and if all the doomsayers are correct, none of us will vote for it. But how do you turn down the kind of people sitting in the gallery today? How do you turn down people who are sick, people who are in pain, people who have not had the ability to have a quality of life without this health care product? And make no mistake, my friends, this is not a bill about drugs. This is a bill about health care. We had a national debate that went on for over a year about health care. Long debates, controversial, arguing across this country about health care. And it's a health care plan that will cost America billions of dollars. Before it be against, it's not the point. The point is, this is health care for Illinois under narrowly defined circumstances that will not cost the taxpayers of Illinois one dime. The people who today have to take Oxycontin and morphine and codeine just to get through the day have no quality of life. They're bedridden. They can't take care of their kids. They can't take care of their laundry. They can't go to the movies. They can't live their life. 
This bill will enable them to legally do that. Now, many of the people in the speaker's gallery today take this product. They're not ashamed of it, and they're able to get through the day. But what about those who cannot? What about those who don't have the ability to do that? Will we allow them really to live a life of pain or in the alternative to be totally doped up? And by the way, what are they doped up on? Oxycontin, morphine, codeine, addictive narcotics. And those narcotics themselves are killing people. And my friends, no one in the history of the world has ever died from an overdose of marijuana. But every day in this state, people are dying from an overdose of Oxycontin and morphine and codeine. And we must do something to help the people of Illinois live a quality of life. We cannot just be afraid of the word marijuana. In fact, I was the guy who in college would never go near it. When I sponsored this bill, I had friends from across the country who hadn't seen me since high school and college say to me, you have this bill? You're the guy who's sponsoring this bill? They couldn't believe it. But I'm not here because it's about drugs, my friends, and I'm not here because I want to legalize marijuana. I'm here because there are sick people in this state who demand and need and should insist upon our attention. Now, there are at least 30 or 40 of you in this room who know you should vote for this, who have told me you hope I pass this bill, and you have been unwilling to commit to vote for it. I'm hoping that this debate today will convince you that public policy must always trump all other things. Otherwise, why be in this chamber at all? Do the right thing. Help these people. I'd be happy to answer your question. Yeah, that was wild. I was, uh, did you hear that? Did you hear the passion in that guy's voice? Man, you guys would have loved to have been there. Um, it, was, it was amazing. I mean, the, I can't believe that amidst the the language that he was just breaking it down so simply to these people, but they seem clueless. <laughs> they seem clueless. And some of them, didn't you get the impression, uh, Ana, that a lot of them were just playing a political party line game and because they were like oh, jumping around and talking to each other and acting ridiculous and disrespectful. Very disrespectful, um, and half the time, you know, I, I, and what really offended me is when a representative of the opposing side would stand up, they would ask their question for, you know, Representative Lang, and he would start to give the response back, and they would be sitting there talking with somebody else, not even paying attention, so you're going to debate something, and then you're not going to even listen to the response, even asking questions, and not even to listen, you know, take the time to listen to the answer, you know, I observe that, and I'm taking that into consideration, I hope these representatives realize this. Yeah, how cavalier of an attitude can they have to do that? You know, that's that's uh, that's shameful. I think for our state, you know, oh, lawmakers to behave that way. Yeah, for sure. Well, what was uh, who was the other person um, that was there? Cole, Representative Cole, is she the one that went on a tirade? This lady oh, she did. is new. She was, uh, in- in my offensive, she's, or in my opinion, she was the most offensive out of all representatives. I mean, you had a couple of reps out there saying, hey, Representative Ling, where's your hemp necklace at? And, you know, I find that offensive as well. But the things, I mean, Representative Cole was calling it dope and yeah. obviously hadn't educated herself. She was trying to say something about um, vaporizing, but she didn't realize that the word, what vaporizing, that word, 
Um, and I, th- I want to say she was yeah, calling listen, it nebulizing. Pa, this, this representative Cole got on there and she hasn't, she hasn't, she's new and she hasn't made her bones with her cronies yet. All the uh, Republicans over there. And uh, so she's trying to get in their favor, you know, and she stood up and she said, I'm new and I don't speak much, but I wanted to make sure I said something about this. And then she instantly launched into this yelling, screaming tirade that was, it was probably the least informed and most ignorant uh, tirade I've heard. And I've heard a lot of it. I mean, I've been involved with this for a long time, man. And I've heard a lot of stuff. And she, at one point she goes, this is not about medicine. This is not about helping people. And a lot of people were like, whoa, what in the hell is she talking about? And she right. says, this is about dope. It's about how you can get dope Dopers. and how much dope you can have and where you can have your dope. <laughs> and, and she says, it's, you smoke it. What in the sphere of medicine do you, do you actually smoke to get uh, a cure from it? He said, I can see if it was nebulized or if you could vaporize it or something, that would be different. And then that's why we're all sitting there with our jaws dropped, like, wow, you just let everybody know how uneducated on this matter that you are. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) have a brownie. Here, have a brownie. (laughs) How shameful is that? You know, these people are supposed to be on the House floor voting to, uh, you know, for the interest of the people of the state. And yet they're playing these party politics games and just belittling themselves in the in the esteem of our um, state house. It's 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 really bogus all the way around. But you know, oh, most definitely, and insulting so, to us patients. You know, as patients have to deal with a lot on a daily basis. Anyways, how dare right. you take this as a laughing matter and crack jokes about it? You know, yeah, very yep. insulting. For sure, and. um so it looks like right now SB 1381 is um, awaiting a hopeful little boost at the end. And it doesn't really, I mean, honestly, it doesn't really seem that likely to happen, unfortunately. You know, to be honest with you, after after this last, on the 30th, this whole time I've been, you know, advocating for the, for the cause, I've, I've kept it optimistic and positive. You know, Illinois, we're going to do this. We really have. We've come so far. Um, for it to get passed in Senate, you know, that is such a huge step. Like, we're, we're going to do this. We're going to get this done. But after the 30 years, after what I watched, after how insulting it was and, and degrading almost in a sense, like, you know, sure. I, the way that they made me as a patient feel, they made me feel horrible. So I could only imagine everybody else sitting up there in that gallery with me. Um, but, you know, my... Hey, it's really hard to keep faith up because, in all honesty, I, I think those representatives are in there for something bigger than what we're trying to ask for. Um, mm. You know what I'm saying? I, I, sure. They don't care about us, and I, I honestly don't know if we are going to be the 16th state anymore. I was really high hopes oh. on it, but I'm I'm not quite sure anymore. But we're really not going to give up, you know, and it, it, very, no, it no. very well may happen. I mean, it's just not very likely at this point because of where it's at. But, you know, three votes, who knows? I mean, there could be a kind of a backlash of sorts after they make this, uh, this step in their vote. They might go, oh, man, you know, they could have a coulda, shoulda, wish I woulda and change their vote, you know, three times. That's not that's not huge in the scope of right. things. But uh if it doesn't, if it should not get by, you know, and we'll keep reporting what's happening here. But if it doesn't, uh, if it doesn't get through this time, then uh, undoubtedly, um, are we giving up? Absolutely not. Absolutely no. not. We're not giving up. <laughs> You're going to be there. And and we should probably uh, 
let let the people know a little bit about yourself. I probably should have kicked it off that way, of course. But uh, you're aligned with uh, the Illinois Patients. You, the you, Illinois you Cannabis Patients Association. Gotcha. Yeah, the Illinois Cannabis Patients Association. And uh, how did you get involved with that? Um, I got involved because uh, February 8, 2009, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Um, and at the time, I was only 21 years old. So I... And for those that don't know what multiple sclerosis is, it's a neurodegenerative disease um, of the central nervous system, which the central nervous system really does control everything you could imagine about the human body. The central nervous system really is controlling it. Um, so my immune system has turned onto, it's crossed my blood brain barrier for whatever reason. It's not supposed to do that. Um, so in crossing, the blood-brain barrier, it sees the myelin, which is the protective coating over my central nervous system. It sees that as a foreign object, like a, you know, a, a virus, if you will. So it's attacking right, the myelin, thinking it. it's helping, but it's not. <laughs> so um, in this process, you know, it causes all kinds of problems. Pain is my number one. It's my worst enemy. It's something I deal with every day. Um, also yeah. problems walking and all that non-fun stuff. So um, being diagnosed with that disease, I, they started putting me on all these prescription drugs to help with the symptoms. Obviously, there's no cure for the disease, but hey, it's okay. We have pharmaceutical drugs because uh, they'll help all the symptoms that you have and it'll make it seem like you don't even have MS. So um, being so naive at the time and not knowing what I was getting myself into as far as the disease and the medication and what the toxicity was going to do to my body... Um, you know, I started taking these prescription drugs that my doctor was prescribing me. Um, I had my first drug was a neuropathic painkiller. Um, and just to start off here, a neuropathic pain, for those that don't know what that is, um, it's a pain that's occurring somewhere, obviously, in your brain. But um, a lot of it's backfiring messages from this disease, messing things up. Um, anyways, so neuropathic pain are, you know, burning sensations, pinching sensation, tearing, stabbing, shredding Horrible, Ouch. horrible pain. Yeah, it's awful. And I it experience them everywhere. Um, in my face, in my brain, in my all over in my body. So they gave me neuropathic painkillers to start off with to help with that. It made you um, all googly and, and blurry, didn't it? Oh, man, it messed me up really hard. And, it, and the thing is with oh. that, you had to take that pill three times a day. Three times oh. you had to take this pill. So did you um, get, every day. How, how did you get to the idea where you said, hmm, maybe cannabis would be better? Um, you know, I was reading, I was, I went to Barnes and Noble and I started researching the disease and what people were doing to help with it. Um, and I read in this Treating Yourself magazine, um, it broke down this endocannabinoid system and how all mammals have this endocannabinoid system. And then it explained how people with diseases um, autoimmune diseases, neurological diseases have damaged immune systems. Um, so I had tried smoking cannabis before I had originally read this in the magazine. And I, I even told my, I even told the neurologist at the time, Hey, look, I, I am using this and it's actually helping a tremendous amount. It makes my insides feel like what they felt like before I had MS. It makes me feel normal again. Um, and, and he got this really big grin on his face and was very excited about it. And he told my family she has to continue doing this. If this is helping her, she needs to continue. Um, so fast track back on to reading that article um, at Barnes & Noble. I started understanding things um, as to why when, you know, I would medicate with cannabis, I was putting these cannabinoids into my system that my body 
was lacking because I had a damaged endocannabinoid system because of my disease. So then after reading that, it's like, wow, this makes sense. This is why I start feeling normal when I medicate with this. I start feeling like what I should feel like because I'm replacing cannabinoids that aren't being produced anymore because of my damaged endocannabinoid system. Um, and like I said, with neuropathic pain, I, I again, with researching and whatnot, I found that there's this CB1 and CB2 receptor in the human body. Um, mm-hmm. They're cannabinoid 1 and cannabinoid 2 receptors. Um, so after researching that and it, it made me understand, okay, this is, this is why on those days that I have cognitive dysfunction because of my disease and those lesions mm-hmm. and whatever area they're in, uh, this is why when I medicate with cannabis, I can keep my train on track. It doesn't keep derailing every time I try thinking my train derails or, um, mm-hmm. you know, the pain, for instance, that's a great example the pain in my face, the pain in my legs, the pain in my arms, the pain all over my body and even on my, the right side of my brain. It instantly stops as soon as I medicate. And the reason for this is because those, those cannabinoids are finding that CB1 receptor and they're cleaning. So that way it can't, you know, transmit any more pain through that. After reading this and, and understanding how it all works, I mean, it just it blew my mind to sit there and think, wow, how, how dare they, they not let us have this as our medicine? Like, this makes sense, and there's science behind it. Like, there's no science. You know, our, our bodies don't have what morphine receptors in it. That's why people are dying from these right. drugs, because our body doesn't recognize these chemicals. It does recognize cannabinoids, though. It understands what to do with the cannabinoids. So that's kind of how I all got started into that mix there. <laughs> and it just motivated you. Yeah. Wow. It, you're, well, you're certainly knowledgeable about the medical aspects as far as it pertains to yourself. So that's, that's wise to be certain. Well, shoot, we're going to keep up with um, the 1381 um, situation, SB 1381. That, uh, once again, is the Illinois uh, medical um, marijuana legislation that is still um, pending. Um, it's postponed it's on postponed consideration um they have up until january 11th so we'll keep an eye on that and miss ana deveris we thank you for for joining us on the program today and telling us a little bit about what's going on if it's okay with you we might give you a call down the road maybe a week or two and see where this thing's shaping up all right absolutely and thank you so much for having me on the show it was definitely an honor thanks cool we'll talk to you soon all right. Have a great day. Bye. Awesome. Bye. See ya. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Miss Misty Veras definitely deserves a ding for uh, for her good efforts. She she seems to be clear minded. Man, she was she was uh, schooling me on the medical stuff there for a minute, wasn't she? <laughs> yeah, that was like science class, man. She knows her stuff. I was like, wow. But she, yeah, just ask her a question. That's a good thing, you know, because she's the one out there advocating and keeping her facts straight. And you know, there's a lot of people that have medical conditions and just do not get educated on them as much as they should. She's done her research. She's mm-hmm. a she's a smart lady. She certainly is. Yeah. yeah, we're grateful to have her. Thank you uh, once again, Aina. And uh, just to reiterate for all of you, Illinois SB 1381, uh, Illinois' um, Medical Cannabis um, Compassionate Use Act, um, has been voted on in uh, on Tuesday of last week and is uh, postponed consideration. It did not. It fell short three votes of where it was uh, intending to be, where it needed to be to get passed. And uh, so the sponsor will just not let this thing die. Um, We've been pushing this through for years and years and years, and uh, this is the farthest it's ever gotten. All they need to do is approve this, and it will go to the governor who said he would probably uh, approve it as well. Um, 
it does, there's some changes, so it'll go to the Senate, but I mean, it's done. This thing is done. And so it's uh, under what's called postponed consideration, which is basically the ability for a law, the law, a lawmaker in Illinois to pull his legislation back a little bit so it doesn't lock in the official vote yet. And it gives him a little bit of leeway. Um, this veto session is over. Let me see. There's another small session. It goes until uh, January 11th. So they'll have until then. Hopefully they can, they can get these uh, three extra votes, but, you know, we'll see. We'll keep our, our hopes up and uh, just, hope, you know, we'll keep you informed as it happens. Suppose. Yeah, we got to inform people on what's going on in New Jersey. Got an East Coast scoop. Jersey, yeah. East Coast scoop. Yeah, big time here. They're making starting to make. Yeah, some talk headway. about a, a ongoing medical cannabis dilemma. These guys, I tell you what, and it's not really these guys. I guess you can't say it that way because that's not really fair. Because really, um, it comes down mostly to Governor Christie, um, uh, the New Jersey governor, um, has been. Well, it's beyond restrictive. He's he has proposed the most restrictive rules ever, and their own house and their own assembly stood up and said, "Wait a minute, this bill is for the people." Um, this this approach to this type of legislation is killing the effectiveness of the bill in the first place. So it's not going to help any of the people. So there was a big uproar about this. We've been covering it lately on the show, and I guess. Uh, now that uh, they've, I don't know, delivered the message of how important this is, um, Christie has come back and he has announced less restrictive uh, medical marijuana plans. Um, this, uh, let me see what he's looking for here. He says that, and this is kind of odd, there's some pros and some cons going on here. He said that this deal that he has, it allows for an extra couple of grow opportunities like uh what do you call it dispensaries and uh, uh two uh growers i think that originally it started out with two growers and two um medical marijuana facilities and now they've changed it to well it's still two growers but they went up to four treatment centers is what they called it so christie said friday that he is supported he does support allowing six centers to grow and distribute the drugs so that's a big step positive but this is the part of the story that really stood out to me see what you think about this pot the deal keeps intact a controversial provision capping the level of thc in medical marijuana at 10 percent which advocates say is too weak obviously and could force patients to buy the drug illegally yeah now what's your take on that one they should just import a bunch of shitty mexi swag and just put it in those centers (laughs) i mean if they want to you know if they want crappy weed if they only want people to have crappy weed then they should uh this this is a good rule you know i mean oh that's horrible (laughs) uh dude it's um there are a few i've you know i've seen uh cannabis testing um um on a lot of different strains and uh there's there are a few strains that go uh, that fit that category, but not very many anymore of, um, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, m- most of the strains are between like 10 and t- 10 and 20%. So, uh, I, I mean, I, I, it makes no sense, man. Sorry. I don't know. You can it, have it like, makes no sense. P- you can sell like pure grain alcohol to people. I mean, if you have a little bit pure, uh, medicine and it's still not toxic or deadly or anything like that, then it's just pure and stronger, more higher concentrate. Wouldn't you just take less of it? Why can't you? I don't get it. 
I just don't get it. I mean, you can <laughs> give that... people Oxycontin and like you can also give them like muscle relaxers simultaneously and they can go into basically a psychedelic drug trance for years of their life if they want to and but uh you know that, that weed's just a little too powerful, man. You're going to you're going to go off the deep end with that stuff. You're going to take a nap if you keep it up. Yeah, you, <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's it's it, you, you might know. end up hungry. It's you. it's basically a rule that's being written by people that know absolutely nothing about the effects of cannabis. As in they may have read some stuff but they haven't smoked it. They don't know. You know right. what I mean? Right. So. You know, it's like we were talking with Ana uh Duveras earlier about the Illinois thing when we were in the chamber. Those those uh the opposition was just the most ill-informed, ignorant people to this issue. They seem to have no clue about any of this. And they're arguing laws being made. Ugh. Yeah, it's crazy. How do we get past it? Is there a solution? Well, I mean, we just, you know, hopefully we're getting, you know, right now we're still in an era where most politicians can't even talk about the fact that they've smoked weed before. You know, I mean, like it's we're still like moving past that. Um, so um, I say uh, I'd say that that as we continue moving forward, like and politicians at least recognize that they smoked weed or, or is that, you know, younger generations start taking power. Like maybe their at least their firsthand knowledge will be, you know, maybe they even smoked weed and didn't smoke, didn't end up continuing on with it, but they smoked it enough times to like realize that you, it's that you don't get high. Like you're like, like you do the first couple times, the rest of the time that you do build somewhat of a tolerance mm -hmm. to it, that you can like have it be a, an effective medicine for you over time. It's that you're not going to always be like, you know, that first time you got stoned when you're 14 years old and everything seemed like a movie and, and, and you could you're like wow what is this <laughs> stuff and you know i mean it's it, that it can actually be a, a effective medicine that doesn't make turn people into to idiots and lunatics so um yeah. right Right. Well said. Well said. Well, you know, we want to tell people or tell our listeners um, that there is a clip also um, about this that we're not going to cover. But uh, yeah, we'll keep uh, we'll keep up on what's going on in New Jersey. It's it's amazing that their legislators are standing up and East saying, "Wait Coast. a minute, East Coast, yeah. East Coast, represent There's some more stuff They're, going on." The they need East to. Coast. Make, I think they need to make some more some more compromises on that bill. But uh, we'll see how it goes. They got a ways to go. They do. Right. They do. Yep. They do. Um, but we got some more East Coast. We got a topic barely worth any of our time from the East Coast. It comes from Long uh -huh. Island. Uh, what's going it's on over there? One, you know, you know, one my of my favorite, favorite kind of gross. My one, yeah, one of my, my one of my favorite topics in general. I love these these sophisticated grow operations. Oh, is this a sophisticated grow it operation? Might be, yeah, it might nice. Be. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to listen to the clip. All right. A major marijuana bust on Long Island, and it was a foul odor that tipped off neighbors that something was wrong. Long Island reporter Josh Einiger is live in Westbury with how they got him. Josh? Well, Sade, neighbors complained to police about that stench, and that's what led undercover detectives to set up in the bushes in this neighborhood and start surveillance on the house behind me. Didn't take long, they said, before they saw the, the telltale signs of a neighborhood drug den. It's a modest, family-focused community where Santa Claus has already arrived. But over the past couple of weeks, homeowners have noticed something strange about the house on the corner. A pungent smell that seemed to spread a little farther with each passing day. I thought it was a skunk. I mean, that's how bad it was. It was a terrible smell. It got worse and worse until someone flagged down a passing police car. The officers could smell it just driving down the block. 
And to seasoned narcotics investigators, it was the unmistakable smell of a sophisticated marijuana growing operation. Yes. Cops say 23-year-old John Driscoll has all the hallmarks of a professional farmer lovingly tending to his crop. Four months ago, he rented out the home at 52 Morningside Drive and allegedly turned it into a high-yield pot factory, complete with high-tech equipment to help his plants grow larger and faster. That is his business. He's a marijuana farmer, so he harvests the stuff and then sells it at a significant profit. After two weeks of surveillance, police arrested Driscoll yesterday and seized 164 plants nearly ready for harvest. Their street value, $40,000. Cops also found 10,000 bucks in cash. Investigators say Driscoll definitely knew what he was doing growing the pot, but may not have expected his exhaust fans to carry that smell so far and result in a major bust. So I guess you never know in your neighborhood, somebody got to watch who's renting your house next door to you. Now, police tonight say uh, Driscoll was operating alone. He tonight is charged with one count of criminal possession of marijuana. While that may not sound like a major charge, it is a felony. And when you're talking about more than 10 pounds of pot, it carries a maximum prison sentence of 15 years. Yeah. We're live in Westbury, Long Island tonight. Josh Oniger, Channel 7, Eyewitness News. He didn't even have more than 10 pounds. All they said that they were going to get was $40,000 worth of street value. And remember when we talked to Chris Conrad, they always... Exaggerated. Exaggerated. Yeah. So they're making this guy. This is such sensationalism. They're making this guy seem like some big high tech pot factory in his house. I mean, I'm, I'm, I was watching the video here, and it doesn't. Maybe he has four lights. Yeah, right. That's what I was getting at. It's so like they don't understand. So like they're saying there's forty thousand dollars worth of weed in there. So even if there is. So he does that successfully four times a year. That's 160 grand minus all the expenses that he has to put into running. I mean, they 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 it's just there's not forty thousand dollars worth of weed in there. No, I saw that little grow room. There's yeah. there's definitely not forty thousand dollars worth of weed in there. Not uh not at wholesale prices anyway. Um, you know, I don't know. Maybe he was he was a drug den too, wasn't he? <laughs> That's where all the dopers Pro- went and, and prostitutes. Yep, hookers and dopers. They yep. always hang together. Yep. Yep. Especially pot smokers. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that one is really uh, barely worth any of our time. And what do they keep doing? Is that a, is that actually an official catchphrase now? Do they actually I, I say think, sophisticated? Yeah. I think I think they got the memo. There was, was a memo jargon. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. You, you must you must call all grow ups sophisticated. And you know, I was use actually, the word factory or, too. Or in elaborate. The thing now. Elaborate's another one they use. You yeah. know, you know that that cocaine cowboys movie. Have you what, seen that one? Yep. One. Uh-huh. Not coke. I haven't seen not, two yet. Uh, yeah, the the first one. Uh-huh. Um, they mention in there it's it's I think it's the first George Bush talking about uh the the cocaine thing, but he calls it sophisticated, and I I think that might be where the meme started, in terms Ew. of sophisticated being connected with uh like drug drug people. Yeah, yeah. Those that that the way that the cocaine thing happened actually was pretty damn. <laughs> yeah, a lot more than this guy. That's for damn sure. Sophisticated, <laughs> this poor hobbyist. <laughs> oh, oh, I mean, I don't know. Maybe he was making money, but uh, yeah, over there, there it smelled smelled so bad. It, it was, was like a pungent. Stunk. It was pungent. It, you, you know, it sounded like a Christmas story at first. Oh yeah, and Santa's already arrived to that local little family <laughs> family town. I forgot about that. He's already there. That's what they were saying, anyway. And it was, that was oh man, those poor people. Santa's oh. not arriving for this guy. Nope. Oh. On to our international weedscape. We've got so we got some we got some uh, leads yeah, from Tonga Ninja. Well, I don't know if it was Santa actually. He had a robe on. Um, I think it was Magistrate 
uh, Robin Patterson uh, recently landed in Phil Rudd's world. If you don't remember who or know, realize who Phil Rudd is, he's the the drummer for the um, popular rock band ACDC. And he lives in Taronga, New Zealand. And recently they busted him um, for possession, 27 grams of cannabis. Um, it was like a, I think it, it was New Zealand 250. So it was like, I think American 196. Four dollars or something is all the fine was. So it seems like kind of a not a big issue. But here's the rub: uh, Magistrate Robin Patterson said that Rudd was playing Russian roulette, and he should have known how serious a drug conviction should be. Do you smell what's happening here already? Here comes another overzealous drug prohibitionist person, <laughs> and this time he's attacking Phil Rudd, the big rock and roll star guy, and. Uh, Anyway, this this magistrate says he wants to push this as hard as he can so he can get a conviction, even the minor conviction, because that minor conviction, while it not, may not matter in uh, the general sense of things, um, in this gentleman's case, he is a world touring rock musician, and they made a little over $400 million on concerts just last year alone. Um, so... That money is potentially up for grabs or at stake, I guess, is how you would probably put that. Um, because, well, or else ACDC would have to get a new drummer. So you can imagine the problem is you might not be able to travel around the world because you can't get into some countries if you have a drug conviction. So, yeah, big deal. That's uh, a little, what is that? Making mountains out of molehills. Mole yeah, bummer. That's crazy. Uh, this story might be something similar. I'm not sure. Apparently, in New Zealand, a uh, uh, truck driver was caught uh, smoking <laughs> yeah. and driving. Now he denies that he was smoking while driving. Uh, huh. He quote says uh, they they claim they saw him smoking a bong load. They saw him hitting a bong. Right. Uh Um, But he says, uh, my opinion on smoking and driving, mate, you've got to be joking. You've you have you have to have two hands on the wheel. I'm wiser than that. I only had two bongs enough to relax me. So he's saying he smoked before he drove. And so here Mm -hmm. we go. This is I think he means bong hit. Right. That's what he means. No, he down here. He called him pipes. He said, quote, I only took the bong with me because I'd been constipated for seven days. When you have been when you haven't been to the (laughs) toilet for that long, you start worrying. After two pipes, I was quite relieved. So pipes, bong, whatever. It, I don't even know. You know, I mean, I'm not so sure. That's the amount well, of weed it takes people to get high is different for everyone. So yeah, um, seven days is a long time. Yeah, we got another story getting into the driving and smoking later, and uh, relating in Colorado. Um, this is going to be, you know, this is a, the issue issue of the future. Um, discussing, you know, how much is too much um, in terms of uh, driving under the influence of cannabis. Um, he's basically saying he's using it as a medicine at this point. I mean, you know, it sounds like he's saying he's using it as medicine. Um, right. And he believes the constipation was caused by tramadol, which is a painkiller that he had uh, been yeah. taking. After which I think is operations. probably likely because that's one of the ones they put me on. And he, he indicated in here, it, uh, it makes you wonder all over the road. He said it's giving him hot and cold flushes, yep. making him feel nauseous, like he's going to throw up. I actually did throw up, um, but I felt nauseous, like I was going to throw up a lot of the time when I actually wasn't. So that's really, really uncomfortable. And it plugs stuff. up your pooper. Yep, I got all that stuff happening. Well, except the latter, but I eat like crazy. So, you know, that wasn't a big issue for me, um, I guess. I don't know. But yeah, it was uh, it's a legitimate thing. It's kind of funny, though. 
he uh, he, he gets on the national news under the headline "Constipated Truckie Caught Smoking Cannabis." Yeah. Um, under the Land Transport Act, a person is guilty of driving under the influence of the drug in New Zealand if they fail an impairment test and a blood test shows evidence of drug use. Um, so, uh, you know, there the, to me, there's that uh, issue again with um, whether or not, you know, because you'd fail a blood test if you smoked four, four days ago. So, right. Um, you know, right. They need an anagram law. They need something that goes along with the amount. Yep. Um, Definitely. Like, uh, like we'll get to in just a few minutes. Definitely. So, uh, Tonga Ninja, we really appreciate the leads, man. We'll keep on covering them. I've got a yeah. little, uh, one, only one thing to talk about in California this week. Uh, we're burying it a little bit, actually, for the first time in a while. Uh, but this yeah. is kind of a big deal. Um, LA City Councils, we've talked about a lot in the past, passed an ordinance uh, way back at the beginning of uh, the year. Um, there were over, th- there were around, it's hard to get say how many there actually were, but there were around 1,000 dispensaries in Los Angeles um, prior to this ordinance being passed passed the ordinance. Uh, They thought it would bring it down to around 140 dispensaries. Um, They wanted to make sure that there were at least 70 dispensaries. Based on the rules they said at the beginning, this is actually ruled out. Um, It has brought the number down to like 39 or 40. So they just amended the ordinance. So now um, not all the employees, so they made a few changes. Um, Not all, it it does not have to be the exact same. Let's see. Um, here are the changes they've made. Uh, first, they say that all employees of a medical marijuana facility, not just its owner or manager, will be held responsible for running the dispensary according to the law. What do you think the implications of that could be? Doesn't that sound like they're trying to make it like mm. where you're like personally liable if your company yeah. does something illegal? Isn't I thought that like corp- being part of some sort of corporate structure kind of protects you in that way, doesn't it? Yeah, could you read the last part of that again? It says, first first changes, all employees of a medical marijuana facility, not just its owner or manager, will be held responsible for running the dispensary according to the law. Huh. Right. I think there's crazy implications. Exactly. So let's say that, that the sheriff's department believes that there's faulty accounting going on then you get in trouble for and it. And they go in and try and catch you money laundering, and one of the owners or managers is money laundering, but you're just a bud tender, and so now you're responsible? personally responsible? Oh, no. Is that what it means? I, I'm Are not questioning. I am definitely questioning if that's what oh. it means, because what it says no, right here it is that. all employees of a medical marijuana facility, not just its uh-huh. owners or manager, will be held responsible for running the dispensary like- according to the law. So even Uh, if you're just a grunt, you know, the security guard or a bud tender or whatever, doing things, all you're doing is checking people to make sure they don't have weapons and checking their script and letting them in and then selling them product. You have no part in the business prior to any of that or after any of that. You don't talk with the attorneys. You don't do anything, but you're still accountable, like like legally accountable. I'm not not so sure that that's – I think that's a, a major issue. I don't even know how you can – I mean, that's, that seems that's that's like constitutional stuff right there dealing with like yeah, corporate hood and yeah. everything. I might you know? set an amendment to that one. <laughs> right. I want to cut that part out. Yes. Um, <laughs> the second change they made was a marijuana facility may legally remain open if it either has the same ownership 
or the same management that was in place in November 2007, which is the cutoff date to register the dispensaries with the city and state, or if the dispensary was registered as a California nonprofit corporation before the city council passed the ordinance in November 2007. So... What they said, what 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 has happened here, um, is originally in the ordinance it said the facility by the cutoff date now to to remain open still has to have the same ownership and the same management that was in place prior to November two thousand seven, and that basically like cut out like everyone because yeah because if you have to have both, I mean think of how often you fire a manager and like change management or change you know structure or what if you add a new owner or delete an owner. Um, you yeah. know, which happens regularly with business. I mean, again, it's just a thing. It was just, you know, it's just a thing where they're trying to like put rules onto the medical marijuana that they don't put onto any other industry. But um, ridiculous rules too. They just changed it so now they're like, you can ha- at least have one of those. You at least have to have the original ownership or the original management. One or the other will suffice. So uh, what they're trying to do is they're trying to bring the amount of people that qualify up to seventy. Um, and uh, if they have shortages, if these changes don't do it, but it does bring it somewhere close, it brings it to 60, 65, they will have a lotto to uh, give uh, the remainder of the um, business licenses out to people that win the lottery so that they can get the number up to at least 70. So that's your, uh, that's your um, California update. California, thank you for that one, man. Los- it sounds like they're trying to make some positive changes. I they're trying to they're trying to make some changes to fix the fuck up that they did. I don't know. Gotcha. I mean, I, yeah. you know, I think that they need to have regulations down there because I've seen it firsthand. It can be a little crazy in Los Angeles with their scene, but they just need to enforce right. the rules. And um, they're tr- really what they've done is they've tried to like tuck this, you know, take this out, take this and tuck it away, and and instead of like. Um, promoting these businesses to be solid, regulated, you know, professional businesses and enforcing some rules for professionalism. They've decided mm-hmm. to put these crazy land use rules in, and then they have these stupid things like, you know, your management has to be the same or your ownership has to be the same. Or, you know, because other, I mean, you know, why would, you know, if, if you sold your business or changed your, it, it just, it makes no sense. It basically, to me, seems like a way that Los Angeles was trying to, take the pot market out of everyone's face when in LA, obviously the demand was for it. Why did it grow so fast? You know, regulate mm-hmm. these people, make them run professional businesses instead of, um, you know, sh- you know, like uh, shady, um, you know, little, right. little corner stores that deal to your, you know, your group of whatever only, you know, so um, mm-hmm. make them, make them be professional instead of like just uh, trying to suffocate the whole industry. So, Big stuff in LA, the lot, the land of earthquakes and high crime rates, um, <laughs> swimming pools and Mac tens. <laughs> right. right, right. Well, yeah. headed out to a little safer zone uh, in Michigan. Well, I don't know how safe it is if you're a medical marijuana patient. Um, the, the, it's gotten to such a point now that the ACLU has actually stepped in. Um, the ACLU arguing that cities do not have the power to veto a state law passed by a majority of Michigan voters um, is suing three metro Detroit communities that have enacted medical marijuana bans. Um, this lawsuit filed Wednesday, um, last Wednesday, on behalf of Linda and Robert Lott of Birmingham alleges that Liv- Livonia 
Bloomfield Hills and Birmingham have adopted ordinances effectively banning the couple and other patients from legally using medical marijuana. Um, their attorney says, we're seeing a lot of cities that are passing very burdensome ordinances that stand in the way of patients and their doctors on this issue. Um, that's American Civil Liberties Union attorney Dan Korobkin. He went on to say, these ordinances are not only cruel, they're illegal and must stop. Now, Linda Lott, she's 61 years old. She suffered from MS for like 28 years. She's legally blind and she uses a wheelchair. Um, she uses medical cannabis to control muscle spasms, which I know personally um, is, is extremely high uh, efficacy level when you're – it's so uh, effective. Cannabis is so effective in releasing muscle spasms and all those little jolts and zaps you get from your electric system or your nervous system. And, uh, yeah, can you imagine? I mean – I don't know. I don't know how you can look at a person like this. And we see these stories all the time, don't we? I mean, is this, this, but, okay, so I got a question. Are they betting, banning medical marijuana or are they banning the dispensaries? Um, they said that, well, here we go. It said, um, it, there's this subtle kind of a nuance going on here. Um, the Bloomfield Hill, uh, Bloomfield Hill city manager, Jay Craven, Cravens, um, said that, um, and Livonia mayor, uh, Jack Kirksey as well, both said that, uh, that they believe their ordinances are in compliance with state and federal law. He said, we don't have a ban on medical marijuana. The, uh, Bloomfield Hills, ma- uh, ma- city manager said, um, he said, we have an ordinance that deals with medical marijuana, but the ACLU says that the targeted ordinances make no direct uh, reference to medical marijuana, but deem it unlawful to engage in any activity within city limits that is contrary to federal law. So that's how it becomes um, illegal for them to use. And uh, I'm glad the ACLU stepped in. It's, it's ridiculous that this is necessary. I mean, it's another instance of that toxic fire thing we we're talking about. You got to put this out right away. And you got and this is kind of different than that, I guess, too, in the sense that you just really have to stand up for yourself in these types of situations and assert your your constitutional rights. Otherwise, they're going to get taken away, or you know, used and abused. They definitely are. We should. Uh, I think we should talk. I think we should. You know, I think we should try to talk with people um, relating to this because we can kind of find out maybe better mm-hmm. in the future uh, what it, what actually is going on. You know, uh, kind of like how we have uh, with the Illinois stories today. It'd be good to get some people mm-hmm. on from Michigan and um, let us know what the deal is there. You know. Sure. I think we could probably arrange that maybe next week. That would be cool. Sure. Yeah. Was, mm-hmm. We will uh, work on that. Uh, then we're going to shift over to the Rocky Mountains a little bit for your Rocky Mountain Rocky High. Mountains. Yeah. We were talking about this a little bit uh, earlier in the show. Um, Colorado may set limits um, for driving um, for cannabis or THC levels um, for driving. Um, which is interesting because we've been talking about, well, a lot of people have been talking for a long time about the necess- the necessity for us to um, do something like that. Um, I believe it's solely through a blood test, though. Right. So here's my question on this, then. So if you take a can they start to differentiate how much is in your blood at this point? 
Like yeah. how much cannabis, you know, like can they, to what degree can they guarantee, oh, he's been smoking within the last 30 minutes or within the last hour. Right. See, that's where the technology needs to roll to. We really need to know these things, be able to uh, um, assess these things um, kind of on a, on demand, on the fly. We need to be able to take a test of some kind of a simple thing, indicator, and go, let me see, hold still, blah, 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 okay. Right. You you're good to go. And we can't and we can't be like taking everybody to the damn hospital to give them blood tests all the time. I mean, it's just not yeah. you know, it, it like with the DUI, you have the right to just if you're if you're not drunk and you're like, "Look, dude, I don't want to walk down that line and touch my nose and do the ABCs backwards. I want to I want to mm-hmm. just give me the damn breathalyzer, you know, and like you can right. you can get off that way. And like there there is no technology like that for cannabis yet. Um, I don't know. So I think that that it's really good to start bringing up this discussion from a at a state mm-hmm. level, you know. But they need to address the technology. They need to address the they need to address these things and and see where the technological like downfalls are. And then also look at you know if they're like, well, what we're going to do is we're just going to haul everybody into the hospital and uh, give them blood tests. And I think that's going to be um, an expensive process. Um, so I think you know definitely they should, people should be able to take impairment tests as well if they're not if the cannabis smell is. You know, if it's obviously like smoke's not rolling out right then, like just because they smell like cannabis does not mean that they are eye on it. If they work in the industry, they may smell like cannabis all the time. Um, so, um, you know, I'm, that's, that's all I'm feeling about this is it's a good thing to start moving in this direction. But uh, I think that we have some serious, uh, serious um, technological issues to deal with as we move into it. So. Um, yeah, I think so as well. They're, I think they're talking about five nanograms right now. And I just really don't know. Um, that's uh, the THC threshold would be five nanograms per milliliter of blood. Um, so I don't know how that works. But um, this uh, story says here that research shows that uh, the, that level, five nanograms per milliliter of blood, is indicative of impairment. So, I mean... This kind of thing is so necessary, and it should have been do- being done a long time ago, and the technology should be so far away from where it is now because we've been doing it for so long. But it, it, at this point, it just still seems a little bit foreign. I mean, I don't know how to – do you know how to gauge that? What's five nanograms per milliliter of blood? Uh, I don't <laughs> uh, uh, nano. Well, that's below. Say that to a cop and uh, see what he does. Watch his face after you get your cell phone camera ready. I mean, that's <laughs> what we do. We do something something similar with alcohol, right? That's you know, but it's different. Um, based yeah, off, yeah, like like know. zero eight. But you can just blow into that thing and it goes ding ding ding. Right, right. And, this, I, and the thing is, test. is I think that there has to be, you know, this can't be an all or nothing sort of thing where they're like, oh, you've been smoking cannabis. Oh, we proved it with the blood test. You're going to jail. It's like, well, there has to be some sort of acceptable range of cannabis. Like someone should be able to have medicated at some point 
during the day that they're still driving in, you know, like, um, I don't think it's an all or nothing thing. I mean, like if I had one cocktail and then waited an hour and then drove and blew a breathalyzer, like right then I probably would not blow a point, a 0.00. I'd probably blow a 0.02 or a 0.03, which is acceptable under the law. And there has to be some, some way of doing that with marijuana too. And then the other thing I'm thinking about here is if we spend a lot of time and a lot of money, about this, is it really even necessary? I mean, you know, are we sure that 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 smoking cannabis and driving is truly a hazard? I don't think that the proof yeah. is even there yet, actually. Yeah, that's um, my other point of contention, as a matter of fact. I'm so glad you brought that up because, really, you have to ask yourself, do we know for sure? I mean, a lot of times uh, you they're complaining because, well, we won't be able to know if they're impaired. Well, there you go. If you can't tell, then right. they're not impaired. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, don't, you don't, I think everyone I think everyone is feeling exactly what you're saying there, man. <laughs> right. If you can, that's that's well, how you I, seem to be perfectly normal. How can we tell if you're <laughs> if son you're, you're a long haired boy, you seem to be perfectly no normal. You must be stoned. We're gonna have to get to the bottom of this. Let's go let's go some take blood. some blood. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean <laughs> son. You smell like mar- well. I've been trimming all day, sir. You still, still. <laughs> you, you haven't been. No, I haven't been smoking at all. Just, just trimming. Pound and a half. Had a really good day. Oh, you know, right now, uh, a handful of states, including Pennsylvania, have a five nanogram limit for marijuana or its metabolites, um, according to normal. And I don't know. I don't know how established that is. Um, I feel. I feel at a loss here. I mean, we, there obviously needs to be a metabolite rule, but but how do we find huh. out, like, what the... I mean, I want to, like, personally, I want to get, like, you know, I want them to tell me. I want to go test myself. Like, okay, so you're saying this is the nanogram. Okay, all right, all right, all right. I'm going to smoke some weed now, and uh, I'm going to get high. And then, then I'm going to then I want you to test me. And then, oh, I'm not quite to that level yet. All right, how much more do I need? Smoke? You know what I mean? Like, how do you... How do, you have to kind of know how to judge it based off of... Your feeling or something is yeah. a. I'm thinking that five nanograms is not going to be enough to be medicated. You um, won't be fully medicated at five nanograms. I mean, it sounds like a freaking minuscule little amount, doesn't it? Yeah, and that's per yeah. per like liter though. Is that or per milliliter or what? I mean, it's nanograms per what? Um, per mil milliliter of blood. So you're only talking it's about a, a tiny lit- amount of blood. But a nanogram is really small, dude. <laughs> but you know, really small. I know it's small. It's really man. small, man. <laughs> wow. It is really, really small. Yeah, but I, uh, the federal yeah. government does treat this like, you know, a lot like plutonium at times, it seems. So maybe that's what they're thinking. Maybe. Maybe. You know, it's this huge volatile thing. I don't know. I don't know. I guess uh, from my understanding, you need to do a, a, a gas uh, mass spectrometry test in order to determine the um, nanograms. Um, but this story seems to think you can do it just from a blood test. So maybe that's the case. Um, that would be but, really expensive. But yeah, that would Hopefully be Hopefully it's so- not just a way Colorado can throw every stoner in jail. Oh, mm-hmm. you're high. Oh, you have a medical... Oh, you're high now. Oh, and then they tell... You know, you haven't smoked in like four days and they're still it's like... It's okay. Yep. Watch this. Yeah. Got that new law. Watch this. <laughs> I love this part. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a future research bin uh, area. Um, uh, I think it's. Yeah, uh, I think exactly. it's something. I think these law, these laws, and moving forward with the technology to try and you know to find the research to f- do the research to determine what is an acceptable amount to have in your body while driving. 
Um, and then to find out how to test that are huge things. And they're huge things to start making uh, a lot of people more comfortable with the idea of uh, medical marijuana and uh, recreational marijuana legalization. So, um, right. you know. And sorting through this stuff. I mean, it can be confusing. Um, there were, in 2009, the National Highway Traffic and Safety Administration found at least one in five drivers who were killed in car crashes uh, subsequently tested positive for drugs. And THC or some other form of marijuana showed up in 1,085 of 21,798 drivers killed. So what is that? I don't even know. But 1,000. About 5%. Yeah. And, uh, and, and out of those, that just says that it showed up. Yep. Does not mean they were it's using just, it in, at the time of the fatal right. accident. So, you know, we're here at this at this uh, program ready if they, if we find proof and we think through, you know, reasonable judgment that, you know, this is something that's absolutely atrocious and it's killing people in cars that we're going to say that and accept that that's, you know, what's going on. But the thing is that this doesn't say that at all. And so it's, it's you know, it's important that we be careful to make sure that we keep things in the proper perspective, <laughs> limited to what we do know. Right. Definitely. For sure. Definitely. Yep. Yeah. We've got, you know, let's, uh, let's move on to some research bin studies here. We got, cause we also got, uh, one of one of these stories that we followed last week. Um, I want to talk about again here in a second. So, and it's kind of pointing to that when we find things that we feel, you know, potentially, uh, you know, not that aren't potentially good about marijuana or its effects. We mm-hmm. want to, you know, we want to report on them cause, uh, you know, we're not we're not just being close-minded to the, the fact that there could be potential negative side effects or health uh, consequences to marijuana mm-hmm. use. Um, we feel yes. like we feel like the verdict is still out, but that at this point, most of the research that's been done uh, points towards you know marijuana being a healthy, non-toxic substance. So, um, and there's a lot of uh, capable, competent people. <laughs> excuse me, people out there um, studying this stuff right now too. Definitely, definitely, it's it's booming. Um, so, all right, what you got here? If you don't know what site, what site is this that we should know well, about? If you if you don't know about what's happening with uh, medical cannabis, this is a great great web uh, web source to find out more information. It's the International Association for Cannabinoid Medicines. Um, go to their website right on the front. It's in five languages. You can click on. Well, I'm going to click on English and. Uh, takes you right into their site. They have their newsletter. It's a uh, free um, weekly bulletin that comes out, the IACM bulletin. Uh, (coughs) They also have on their site uh, FACS, um, Journal of, uh, it's FAQs, um, Journal of Cannabis Therapeutics. They have definitions. They have information on cannabinoids. Um, They have their whole website um, chock full of uh, medicine and research, um, side effects, studies, case reports, and so forth. <laughs> definitely worth a, ch- uh, a a try. If you haven't gotten to this one yet, check it out. It's a uh, global scientist working on, uh, on medical cannabis. So yeah, check out that site. Um, I want to get back to a story we sort of covered last week. Um, mm. This week, the um, news tells a little bit. Well, okay. First of all, let's tell about what this story was. Um, there was a research study done by a, um, uh, immunologist at the University of South Carolina. His name is Prakash Nagarkati. And um, mm-hmm. he has been uh, studying cannabis and its effects on uh, the Im- immune system for about eight years. 
Um, he's found a lot. Of, so this is what we didn't know last week about this guy. We knew about the study, and we were being skeptical. We were being pretty skeptical of the study, weren't we? Mm-hmm. We were being skeptical. well. You know, it just said that it was it hadn't been peer reviewed and it wasn't published yet. Sure, 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 sure. But that doesn't mean that they can't report on it. I think it's fair to report mm-hmm. on a on a. I mean, we you know we report on studies sometimes that probably are in the same um, same same you know same similar place stage. yeah similar stage in, in the process so uh, and what he found was is he said found that chemical compounds in marijuana can suppress the body's immune functions potentially speeding the growth of some cancers but possibly helping in the fight against arthritis multiple sclerosis and allergies so what's happening is is what's the name of this thing that, that he's found that maybe marijuana inhibits it's a what is the yeah they're m uh Where's that stuff? Yeah, there's a special kind of cell, right? Yes, it's a cell, um, and uh, it there it's the myeloid derived suppressor cells that it impacts, uh-huh. um, which you know we would potentially like to hear exactly what that is. But uh, from part- what I understand, they just found those. Yes, they're new, and they're finding that um, the cannabinoid, the com- the compounds, kind of impact them and um, could be suppressing them, which is a would be a sign of suppressing the immune system to some degree. Um, however, this guy is not someone that has been trying to dog weed with his research. He's been doing research that's found marijuana to be helpful in uh, immune in pathology and stuff with for people for a while as well. So. Right. I think that this is one of those studies that 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 we you know we really need to, them to look at again and, and actually to educate us more on what exactly this means and what the myeloid derived suppressor cells do, um, right. and how they affect your, your immune system, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think we're going to have to keep following this because that's probably what's going to happen. Because this week there's more sto- there's yeah. more stories out, and they're basically kind of you know supporting this guy in general because a lot of people he's been getting a lot of emails and stuff from people that are probably angry with him. I would guess from you know people that <laughs> are kind of on our side of uh, marijuana law reform, and uh, that that may not be fair. Uh, that's, I, I don't <laughs> think it is fair. Um, so, um, we need to keep up with this in the future. And that's kind of, uh, that's kind of a little update that I wanted to, to give to last week's story. So, um, sure. We'll stay and on. You know, it, it, it's really worth mentioning that, uh, some things, um, are, are really good. Like, uh, cannabinoids, it might be a new tool for doctors to treat arthritis with multiple and, uh, multiple sclerosis. Um, because in those autoimmune diseases, your immune system goes into overdrive, destroying healthy sure. cells. And maybe that's why so, it works. One of the other reasons it works besides, you know, hitting your CB1 and CB2 receptors, you know. So, uh, yeah, that, that's that's true, right? right. Slows it yeah, down so potentially. There's a lot of good things that this could mean if it's true. Um, and, you know, like you said, this is new. This is new information. So we'll be keep following what's going on in the developments of what's happening and follow-up research that helps to clarify what's going on with this thing. The researcher himself says this is kind of a double-edged sword. It's like a double-edged sword. So, um, And I'm sure he's going to want to confirm what he just found and do it again probably, you know, because he's been studying this stuff for so long. He's probably very interested to make sure that they went about that you know, that they went about the study correctly and everything. Um, but, uh, you know, we have to be open-minded to the potential that we find stuff like this and that in all cases, I mean, cause you know, I, I don't know, I've known people that probably shouldn't be smoking so much marijuana or any at all. Um, sure. so it's potential that there are medical reasons why, um, mm-hmm. and, uh, we'll follow up on it in the future. 
Good. And we should uh, mention this study has been published now in the European Journal of Immunology. Yep, you can check it out. You can go to our you can go to our site, uh, cannabisagenda.com. You can always look at our notes, click on any of the stories, anything we we uh, have covered. Um, we are finishing up this show today. That is is uh, that's the show. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. check us out at the website. Um, email us anytime info at cannabisagenda.com. Comments, criticism, uh, you know, give us some you know. Let us know what feedback. You, yeah, feedback. Let us know where you think the show should go, how it's going, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Questions. Mm-hmm. You can just send us scoops if you have any stories that we're not covering or they're in your area and hard for us to find. Send them to us. We'll cover them. We want to know. We want to cover what you guys want to hear. We want to talk to the people that you want us to talk to. That's a great thing. Email us. Let us know who who do you think we should try and interview. Um, that, that, that'd be awesome. I'd love to hear from you guys about that. So, uh, so, uh, please shoot us some emails, call us anytime. 707-654-CAN, which is C-A-N-N, um, also 2266. Leave voicemail. We will play it on the air if you want to. Um, please, uh, check us out. You can check us, you can listen to the show directly from the website or you can, uh, go to iTunes. At iTunes, you can search for Cannabis Agenda, The Cannabis Agenda. You can find us pretty easily also with a a keyword search for marijuana or cannabis. Uh, leave us reviews, please. It really helps us. Um, and, uh, also check us out on Twitter and Facebook and on Facebook tell your uh, suggest your friends to like us as well uh, guys we really appreciate all of you being out there and listening and, and participating in this process this is a big deal um, thank you for for the time you put into this cause we really 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 appreciate your effort so hmm. absolutely and thanks for listening guys yeah until next time peace and pot Ooh. we'll see you Agenda, your weekly source for cannabis-related news and informed discussion. We podcast for an hour every Monday covering topics related to cannabis legalization, medical marijuana, and market-related information. You can follow online with us at CannabisAgenda.com.